0: Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English, with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 534 for the 12th of March, 2017. This week, it's official, Windows as a Service, and Microsoft says there will be no annual fees. When you buy a device with Windows 10 on it, upgrades will be provided without cost for as long as you use the computer. Writing in the San Jose Mercury News, Troy Wolverton has outlined some common sense steps needed to protect net neutrality. We'll take a look at the key points. In short circuits, for the second time in a little over two years, Radio Shack has gone bankrupt and is planning to close more stores. Facebook outlines its plans to reduce the impact of fake news, not by removing content, but by providing more. In spare parts, only on the website, the latest version of the Raspberry Pi is being sold in the U.S. only at Micro Center, and the pricing is unusual. And the National Institute of Standards and Technology hopes to be able to measure something that has been known about, but unmeasurable, for centuries. Windows as a service. You knew that was coming, right? When Windows 10 was released, the upgrade was free to qualified users, specifically those with Windows 7, and Windows 8.1, at least if they upgraded within a year. But then what? Future upgrades were announced as being free forever on the upgraded computer, but what about new computers, the ones that came with Windows 10? Do users of those computers get free upgrades forever? The other shoe drops, and the easy answer is yes, Microsoft Windows product manager for small and mid businesses, Nick Fillingham, discussed all that this week along with several other topics that will be of interest to small office users and to home users. Let's start by defining some of the terms.
1: Well, Windows as a service is a new way for us, for Microsoft, for the Windows team to deliver the Windows operating system uh, to our customers. There's really two things you need to know about Windows as a service. The first is that once you are on Windows 10, once you have Windows 10, you will receive updates for free uh, for the supported life of your device. That is, as, as long as your device is still functional, uh, as long as you're still using your device, uh, you will continue to receive updates to Windows 10, both feature updates and security updates.
0: That means you pay for Windows once, period. That makes a lot of sense, and it's what I hoped that Microsoft would do when Windows 10 was released, but I didn't expect it to be the final decision. So, that's good news. Whether you're an enterprise user, a small office user, or a home user, you'll welcome this. The system is being designed so that it will deliver updates on a predictable schedule.
1: It means feature updates, and those are new capabilities, new functionality that we release to the operating system. Those things are going to happen two to three times per year, and then every month, we will have quality updates, and a quality update is really addressing uh, security and stability uh, in the operating system itself.
0: Fillingham talked about builds, testing, rings, and releases. The Windows Insider program has been around since the early days of Windows 10. The objective is to perform initial testing with a relatively small number of computers and then to widen the exposure. We have our engineering teams uh, here in Redmond and around
1: the world, and they're, they're working on their individual features and their individual uh, fixes. Uh, and as they work on a feature and a fix, that goes into a build that gets validated against you know, a small number of, of PCs, a small number of machines, both physical and virtual, somewhere in the hundreds to thousands. Then at some point those get accumulated uh, into a larger build which gets uh, tested against more machines, in the more in the tens of thousands of range, tens of thousands of PCs, again both physical and virtual. And then once we have a collection uh, of those features and capabilities that we feel uh, are, are ready to be tested by a broader group, we now have a new program called the Uh, insider preview uh, program and anyone can join that any person member of the public or a business can join the insider preview program and that allows you to get access to builds of Windows 10 before they are made generally available Uh, and we have three rings at the moment or three uh, layers to the insider preview program we have a a fast ring, a slow ring, and a release ring.
0: The one thing that's important to understand is this. Even slow ring releases should not be used on a production computer, and that means any computer that you depend on for daily work. Fast ring users will see frequent buggy updates. These are definitely not stable. Slow ring users will see updates that are much less frequent, but have considerably fewer bugs. The release ring is safe for production machines as long as they're not mission critical. So you might consider using release ring for some of the computers in the office, but not the one that does your billing. And then the current branch ring, that's the version that's generally available, the one that will be pushed out to most users.
1: If you are on the, uh, the home edition of Windows 10, or the Pro Edition of Windows 10, uh, and if you're on the Pro Edition but you haven't selected uh, to defer updates, you will receive feature updates to your PC once they are released to the current branch. So current branch means general availability, general broad availability of a new set of features for Windows 10.
0: The next version is called Creators Update, and it's available right now in the fast ring of the Windows Insider program.
1: So if you want to see what's coming in Creators Update, if you want to get ahead of the curve, if you want to start testing, uh, go and join the Windows Insider Preview program, uh, and you will get access to pre-released versions of the Creators Update.
0: Enterprise users will receive the Current Branch for Business releases. These are typically about four months behind the Current Branch releases. If you don't want to receive Current Branch updates yourself, but would prefer to wait for the Current Branch for Business release, you can change some settings if you have the Pro version of Windows. You simply go into Settings, go into
1: Update and Security, go into Windows Update, And then under Advanced Options, there is an option here that just says Defer Feature Updates. And when you uh, select Defer Feature Updates, what you're saying is, I don't want to install uh, an update uh, when it gets released to the current branch, I want to wait those extra four months until that build gets declared current branch for business ready.
0: When the new version moves to the current branch, it's pushed out to some users, but you're able to change that. Additionally, you can limit the hours during which Windows will install updates and possibly call for a system restart. We
1: do provide uh, a feature or a set of capability inside Windows, uh, which allows you to set the time frame with which... Uh, you you generally use your computer for for work hours, for your activity. And basically, setting active hours is telling the computer, these are the hours during the day that I generally use my PC and need to be productive and I don't want you to be installing updates. And so if you go into settings, update and security, Windows update, and then you'll see the, the top option there under update settings says change active hours. And when you bring that up, Uh, it gives you the opportunity to uh, modify a start time and an end time. Now, by default, that start time will be 8 a.m. and that end time will be 5 p.m. And what that means is that between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. every day, uh, Windows Update will not attempt to install updates and uh, and, and potentially uh, request a restart of your computer.
0: But take care in setting those hours. Specifying hours to avoid is fine if the computer is on for 24 hours a day, or at least for some hours, outside the time you've protected. But if you say that updates cannot occur between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., and those are the only times the computer is turned on, you're going to run into a problem because you're not giving the computer any chance to update and reboot.
1: If you only ever have your, your PC on between 8 and 5, and those are your active hours, a time frame will kick in, when Windows Update will want to install a quality update, perhaps to fix a security issue or a driver issue, and it'll see that the computer is currently in active hours and it'll defer to the next day. And then again, if it's only on between 8 and 5, it'll defer to the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. And then at some point, that deferment really kind of can't continue. And so Windows Update will pop up, and say, sorry, but this is important and we have to install it. And so if you've ever had that experience, if you've ever had Windows Update pop up during the day and say, hey, I'm installing something right now and we're going to reboot, it's a good chance that that happened either because active hours weren't set or more likely because your computer was only ever on during active hours and Windows Update did everything it it could uh, to try and find a time slot outside of your active hours but couldn't. So make sure you go and set active hours But also more importantly, make sure once a month you allow your computer to be on for a little bit longer so it can go and install those quality updates outside of your active hours window.
0: That's Nick Fillingham, Microsoft Windows Product Manager for small and mid-sized businesses. Writing in the San Jose Mercury News, Troy Wolverton says net neutrality is under threat, but you can do something to defend it. Naturally, that caught my attention because net neutrality has been mischaracterized as a political issue, mainly by the telecoms and the Internet service providers who simply want to increase their profits. The key, Wolverton says, is communicating with the Federal Communications Commission. Before the FCC can kill off net neutrality rules, it'll have to go through a formal rulemaking process, Wolverton notes. That process, like those before it, will require the agency to solicit comments from the public. Those comments proved decisive in the past, he said, and could prove crucial in the future. The article says that activists working on the issue have numerous suggestions, but the real key is to simply make your voice heard. Hard as it is for many of us to believe sometimes, Wolverton writes, policymakers do actually listen to the public. In fact, that's what happened the last time around. When it looked like net neutrality was dead, enough people made enough noise that the outcome was not the one that the telecoms and the ISPs expected or wanted. In 2014, an appeals court struck down a previous version of the FCC's net neutrality rules, Wolverton wrote. In trying to figure out how to respond to that ruling, the agency proposed to replace the defunct rules with new ones that would have gutted net neutrality by allowing broadband providers to create fast lanes on the Internet for their content and those of their paid partners. So again, it's an issue of following the money. But contacting the FCC directly would also help. Call and leave a message for Chairman Pye, Wolverton says. It's much easier for policymakers to change rules if they don't think anyone is paying attention. And sign petitions. Fight for the Future has put together an online petition, Wolverton notes, that people can sign to show their support for net neutrality. For more ideas, see the article on the Mercury News website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. short circuits, you might be surprised to learn that Radio Shack still exists. The century-old company filed for bankruptcy protection more than two years ago, and now it has filed again for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The company used to be where hobbyists went to find parts, where batteries were available in every conceivable size, and where calculators and other electronic gizmos filled the shelves. There are now just 1,500 stores nationwide. 200 of those will close. The company says it will evaluate the other 1,300. A deal with Sprint has kept most of the stores open, and the cellular service provider says it will turn several hundred Radio Shack stores into Sprint stores. The exact number of stores and their locations was not discussed. Headquartered in Fort Worth, Radio Shack now has just 5,900 employees. If you've purchased something at Radio Shack and want to return it, you can if the purchase was made before March 2nd. Anything purchased after that date cannot be returned. And if you happen to have a Radio Shack gift card, make sure to use it before April 7th. information shared on Facebook is demonstrably false, and the company has promised to do something to combat the lies. One part of the solution is warning labels. The labels will be applied to items that have disputed content based on fact-checking by the Pointer International Fact-Checking Network, which includes organizations such as PolitiFact and Snopes.com. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the organization has managed to be somewhat successful in fighting spam and scams, but battling fake news will take a more nuanced approach because there's not always a clear line between hoaxes, satire, and opinion. The problem is that satire, hoaxes, and opinions are often believed and spread. So Zuckerberg says the primary effort will be to provide more information from fact-checkers rather than remove fake content. Often stories from satirical sites such as The Onion, The Borowitz Report, Satire Wire, and even the obviously phony Faking News website from India are often shared as being factual. Clicking on a story that contains disputed information will trigger a warning from Facebook and links to fact-checkers to explain why the content is phony. No phoniness in spare parts, though, only on the website. This week, the latest version of the Raspberry Pi is being sold in the U.S. only at Micro Center, and the pricing is, well, shall we say, unusual. Yes, I think that's exactly what we should say. The National Institute of Standards and Technology hopes to be able to measure something that has been known about, but unmeasurable, for centuries.